the incomparable. Number 531. September 2020. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This is an episode about a... It's not an old movie club episode, but it is about a movie that has been around for almost 30 years. Oh, God. It's uh, Terminator 2, colon, Judgment Day, directed by James Cameron, the sequel to The Terminator, which we covered on a previous episode. And this is this is the great summer blockbuster of 1991, and I remember watching this movie in San Diego and being blown away by it. Uh, it was uh, such a fun movie, such a fun thing that the the whole country, nobody in the country had seen the original Terminator movie. Like, literally nobody. It didn't matter <laughs> that this was Terminator 2. Nobody cared. They went and they saw it. And uh, now we're going to talk about it all these many years later, at post-apocalypse. Let's talk about Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Joining me to talk about this film are the following wonderful people. Aline Sims is here. Hello. Come with me if you want to live. Mm, good one. Good one. Annette Weirstra is here. Hi. Hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> Brian Hamilton joins us. Hi, Brian. Hi, Jason. I need your clothes, boots, and motorcycle. And Kelly Gamont is here. The future has not been written. There is no podcast but what we make for ourselves. Oh, I know now why you cry. <laughs> uh, lots of lots of quotable lines in this is what I'm saying. Lots of quotable. Have you seen this boy? Terminator 2. So my first question is, did the movie at any point really expect that anybody wouldn't know the premise of Terminator 2? And those of you who lived through 1991 may already know the answer to this, but those who who didn't live through 1991 didn't see this movie in 1991. Let me assure you, I think everybody knew that this was the movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger was a Terminator, but he was a good guy. And every time I watch the movie, I'm amazed at how long the movie goes and how many lengths the movie goes to have it be kind of a surprise that he's the good guy, maybe? What I remember is that there, you saw a lot of, like, in the hype beforehand, because there was a lot of hype beforehand. Mm -hmm. Like, I Mm -hmm. think that, like, didn't the trailer come out, like, a year before this movie? There was, like, a teaser. I may not be remembering correctly, but I think I remember, uh, because like you said, Jason, it's been a long time, that there was, like, a, a... there's a sequel coming sort of teaser, 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 but it wasn't any footage from the film. It was like a factory stamping out Terminators that right. all looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And that was the whole thing. So you knew he was coming, but you didn't really, even in the stuff that came out before the movie, like in the trailers and stuff, like up until real close to when the movie came out, it still seemed like he was just at it again. And there wasn't a whole lot of like, but this time, you know, what if Terminator but a good guy. Like, I don't remember that bit of it at all. See, that's that's not my... My memory is that everybody knew that there was this liquid metal cyborg thing that had all these cool effects that everybody... And that completely spoiled what it was. Um, but that's my memory of it. Anyway, I, what I'm, fa- I'm fascinated that the movie seems to be trying really hard for a while to make you wonder whether Robert mm-hmm. Patrick is not a bad guy and if Arnold Schwarzenegger is the same bad guy he was in the first movie when of course that's the whole 
that's the whole trick, the whole switcheroo is that Robert Patrick is the bad guy and he's a much more advanced Terminator than Arnold Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. who's the quaint, old-fashioned Terminator. <laughs> the reveal of Get Down when it's revealed that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is protecting John Connor happens yep. exactly a half hour in. And yeah, right? as the person Jason was hinting to that did not live through 1991, <laughs> that did not see this movie in theaters, thanks for that. Uh, I didn't know that. Uh, the first time I saw this many, many years ago, I didn't know that Arnold Schwarzenegger was the good guy. Did it blow you away? Was it a great twist? It was a nice moment. It was a nice twist, and it happened early enough in the movie that, you know, I like the three-act structure in this movie of the first act being getting the gang back together mm-hmm. and setting up for the adventures that uh, Sarah Connor, John Connor, and uh, this old quaint model 101 Terminator are going to have together. You know, talking to my roommates now, who I learned have never cared about or seen any of the Terminator movies, I- I'd be so curious what they think of it. Uh, because you're right, the movie does very intentionally set up we sent back two people from the future again 10 years later after the first movie, and it doesn't say which is which, and you automatically assume that Arnold Schwarzenegger is the bad guy again because right. of the very extreme parallels to the opening scenes of the first movie mm-hmm. in, uh, right. in the beginning of this movie. I did sort of like that in the intro, by the way, the sort of like wink and nod to the first one. I thought yeah. that was kind of nice. I can't remember... If I, because I'm pretty sure I saw it in the theater. I saw the first one when I was in grade seven and it scared the crap Mm. out of me, but I loved it. And then I've been on Team Terminator ever since. But I can't remember. But when I I was thinking about that when I was watching it today, and I was also thinking that even though I know I really love that you know nobody else does, and especially watching Sarah Connor and her fear and her going through the process of recognizing it, uh, I still really bought into that. It's like, I love it. The tension. I, yeah, I really like that. So I was eight when this came mm. out. So I don't really remember. I remember watching a segment on some show like E.T. or something right. about the, the special effects mm-hmm. and how like, like you were saying, Jason, how it kind of spoiled everything that was happening. But like, I was seven, eight years old. I didn't care. Um, <laughs> but like, so I grew up with this movie, really. And I like that I can watch it now almost 30 years later, and it still is fun to see the reactions of the characters as they're figuring everything out. Like, it it doesn't lose rewatchability for knowing that plot twist at all. And I think that that's kind of a hard trick to pull off, but they managed to do it really well. I think, and again, this may be my faulty memory from 1991, but I think the marketing executives and the studio executives made this decision that that what what you just described Aline which is keeping it a secret isn't going to hurt the I mean not keeping it a secret is not going to hurt the movie it's still enjoyable to watch even if you know that Schwarzenegger is going to be the good guy and the mileage you get out of selling the movie and saying he was a ruthless killing machine last time now he's yep. trying to save the kid mm-hmm. like that's such a great pitch that i think they i think the movie marketing people were like we're just going to go out and we're going to spoil that part of it even though james cameron clearly wanted it to be a secret and a surprise when it came to marketing i think they're like how can we keep this a secret? It's such a great twist. And I think it's one of the reasons the movie became such a huge hit at the box office is not only is it a really good movie, but I think they had a great selling point, which is this time he's the hero instead of the monster. And then it could also Mm -hmm. show all those wacky computer effects, which at the time, this is the, you know, this is the era when with this movie in Jurassic Park, where like suddenly movies could use CGI 
in ways that had really never been seen before. And it set off what is now just a mo- every movie and TV show and YouTube video <laughs> yeah. and animated <laughs> video you see on Everything. Twitter is one of these so but at the yeah. time whoa it was big it was it was really big so i think they just leaned into it they're like yeah he's a good guy and it doesn't hurt the movie at all if you know that well and i think that they had to do or maybe they thought they had to do something that would be a differentiator versus like okay if you've seen terminator one like oh he's back again and it's going to be the same movie just with a kid plus the mom this time and so by revealing that twist it's also like this isn't a rehash of the same movie you know it's not like scream and all the scream right. sequels which are the same movie over and over and over again you know it's something new <laughs> and it's better for it yep. we like if it had been the same movie just 10 years later, I don't think it would be as interesting no. a movie. It wouldn't be. This is the other thing. So ha- having seen the original Terminator long after I saw Terminator 2 many, many times, I just never had seen the original movie. And we've done, we, there's an episode of The Incomparable. I like that movie. It's adorable. It's so 80s. It's so kind of low budget. Linda Hamilton is... Her hair. It, so mm-hmm. it, it's oh an amazing movie. This is so unlike that movie that it's shocking that it's from the same director right like yes but but this that was his indie horror action movie and this is his big budget studio action movie and Mm -hmm. so it's a it's like in a essentially different genre even though it's a Mm -hmm. sequel and nothing says how different this movie is going to be and i think one every time i see it one of the most breathtaking things about it is linda hamilton because Linda yeah. Hamilton in 1984's The Terminator is soft and f- her hair is frizzy and her she's got chubby cheeks and she's a she's this innocent kind of waitress and she doesn't know what's going on. And in this movie she is bony and angular and angry and on the run and it's like it, it's that moment where you're like, oh, I wonder what happened to her after the first one. Oh, my God, right? Like, And yet, for all those reasons, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to have a kid uh, be with this guy who you spent one night with, and then he died, but he was from the future. And anyway, you're going to have this kid now. It's a time paradox. Don't think about it too much. The, everybody, all the robots want to kill the kid. The uh, doomsday is coming. And anybody you tell about this is going to think that you're crazy. So what would happen? And the answer is, it didn't go well for her. And yeah. we first get her narration, <laughs> which is like, doomsday is coming and all this and you're like oh my god and then we see her and she is locked up in a mental institution doing pull-ups and and like is totally ripped and it's very impressive but it's such a physical transformation it's not only an amazing spellbinding performance but if you see 1984's terminator it's shocking how different she is I would like to be president of the Linda Hamilton bicep fan club because (laughs) her arms are amazing. Yeah. Do you remember how that was a thing, though? Because every woman I Mm. knew was like, I want to be ripped like Linda Hamilton after this movie. And it's like, that was what everyone, we have to go work out and look like Linda (laughs) Hamilton because she is amazing. I grew up in rural Oregon. And so when you are female and live in Eastern Oregon... And that movie comes out and hits the theater. There was one. Everybody there just goes, oh, my God, did you see her reload that gun with one arm? That was the blow away moment. Like, that's all anybody wanted to talk about. Cut chunk. Yes. Like you said, Jason, the stark difference between the first Terminator and the second Terminator movie, I think, is one of the many parallels between Terminator and Alien. 
Uh, they took a very small, mm. very strange horror sci-fi, uh, low-budget movie, and then several years later, uh, turned it into a very different genre movie uh, with lots of explosions, much bigger budget, and a much more hard-boiled and uh, extreme female lead, uh, both right. directed by James Cameron. Yep. No, no, I think the, the transformation of, of Ripley is not as extreme as a Sarah Connor, because how could any... Oh, for sure. ...any transformation <laughs> be as extreme? But, it, 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 right, it is a very similar kind of story in, in, in the parallels... Mm-hmm just are there and it's james cameron this is, this is a james cameron thing i mean like obviously this is a story he wants to tell and it's great but it is a sh- it is a shock if you have seen that movie to see what has happened to her i feel like her reveal is more shocking than his reveal because i don't mm-hmm. remember when i saw the movie in the theater i don't remember seeing a lot of her really like in the promotional stuff again right. rural oregon so it may have been a big deal in other no, places right. like where people live but i didn't see a lot of her and so her reveal and that she shows up right at the top of the movie but is like the opposite uh you know jason like you were saying like where she was sort of you know chubby cheeked and and frizzy and now she's like just all lean and mean and angles and fury and like that I feel like was even more surprising than uh, they sent back another Terminator. You know, like that was right in the title. I assumed we were getting at least one exactly. more. Right? And I think mm-hmm. that is the the twist in the plot that is a little more easy to hide because it's like, well, what happened to her and what's the story? And so when we, when this movie starts, we end up seeing John Connor, who is living with a foster family because Sarah is locked up. And obviously that makes him, you know, feel even that much more vulnerable. And of course he's a troubled teen. He's palling around with the kid with a mullet who is the little red haired kid from different strokes for people who are of a certain age. Uh it's that same kid, Danny Cooksey. Sam, was that his name on different strokes? <laughs> yeah, I think was so. He was a, he was basically the cousin Oliver of different strokes. That's an even yeah. older references, by the by the way. I'm sorry to everybody who didn't live through this. Guess 70s. who's on the show that's of a certain age. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. You're you're picking up what I'm laying down. So <laughs> And and Brian, I think mentioned the three act structure. Of this it, it it watches when I watch it back. It, I'm struck at the, how very specifically it's like three stories. There is the setup, which is mostly the Terminators finding John, and yep. that is a tent pole that you know that is set up so that there can be as this whole movie is lots of explosions, lots of gunfire, lots of driving, lots of running. It there's so much action in this movie, and it's. I'm just going to spoil this because everybody already knew it in 1991. It's so good. It's so well done. It's so carefully conceived in so many different ways. But that's act one. Act two is breaking Sarah out of the mental institution, basically. And act three is assault on uh, the future, essentially, which is the guy who took the Terminator arm and is inventing Skynet. And how are they going to stop Skynet? And how is the Terminator, uh, Robert Patrick's Terminator, going to uh, try to counteract them? And it's it's funny because at several points in the movie, movie it's sort of like, well, we wrap that up. It's like, okay, what's the next challenge? And then and then the movie <laughs> totally shifts gears. And that last third of the movie is very clearly like now we're doing a different movie. Like we got her out. What's next? And they have a little <laughs> brief moment in the desert to collect our thoughts. And then it's okay. Well, now we have to go to Dyson, poor old miles Dyson, super genius 
but tra- tragic, tragic fellow. It's like levels in a video game at this point, where bit. they're just doing one mm-hmm. thing and next thing and the mm-hmm. next thing. But I like that. I like. I, I kind of like the structure of like you know, job done, and it's like yes, but new complication, and then we move on <laughs> to the next thing. All the while, things are exploding and people are blowing up and robots are fighting and all of those, all of those other things. But the first first third of this movie is you know we get our we, there's the shopping mall which is where they catch up to him and like his friend says oh he went over there because they think he's like because it's a it's the terminator dressed as a cop arnold schwarzenegger's got his uh shotgun in the uh in the box of roses it's guns and roses they were on the soundtrack it's uh, oh i think <laughs> so it was the 90s oh it's guns and on. roses it was the 90s <laughs> God damn it. For as much as that hi- that song got hyped at the time, you barely hear it in, in the, the movie, movie, which I yeah. thought was funny, yeah. Yeah, and then the big the big moment in this, and there are lots of moments in this part of the movie, but like for me at least the big the action thing is it's the LA River uh chase yeah. scene where they're like oh, yeah. end up in the yeah. river and he and he's on the motorcycle, short singers on the motorcycle on the side of the river and there's the that big like tow truck tractor trailer thing that is chasing them and like there's mayhem and things explode and it's just uh it's great uh john's uh foster parents don't make it out alive though because nope. they are killed by the terminator i think a lot of people learned about like the la river from yeah, this yeah. movie right that is that is yeah. what it is it is the la river la is just completely made of concrete now but that was a river and then they just concreted it so it's a drainage <laughs> basin but that's what it is and yeah that's i mean every time i drive through la i'm like terminator 2 I mean, terminator yeah. 2 how could you not <laughs> Well, and growing up, anytime I passed anything that vaguely looked like that, I would always kind of peep to see if there was anyone like on a motorcycle or dirt bike or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Something going on. You never know. It's a good thing. Constant vigilance is a good idea. In this first act of the movie, when they reference uh, the first Terminator movie, you you notice that like that that movie from 1984 could never be the blockbuster that Terminator 2 is. Like you said, it's delightfully quaint, delightfully 80s. The synthwave soundtrack oh, is completely <laughs> neglected oh, for the yeah. second movie. <laughs> yeah. um, I didn't realize how much the first Terminator's aesthetic really influenced the kinds of things I love in movies like that uh, <laughs> until I saw Terminator 2 and realized, oh, none of that is nope. in this movie. That's an 80s movie. This is a 90s movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But the references to the first Terminator in this first act of the movie as they're, you know, warping back from the future and as they're skulking through the mental hospital like the more slasher movie style uh, things in the first Terminator movie, like as they're prowling through the police station. I feel like those are not the things people remember about this movie. And they remember the special effects, the giant uh, action set pieces and things like that, right. that the first movie could never have achieved. Yeah, I think but so. But I, I think that there, like, I remember how much the film rewarded you for having seen the first movie because there is so much fan service. So it's like, I get it. I get it. I get it. There's all that stuff in that, especially that first third, which it lays down all, like a lot of 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 those little pieces and visuals and lines and stuff uh-huh. that are you know come with me if you want to live sort of things and uh, it's not necessary you don't need to I, it almost works in reverse probably too so if you've seen the second one first and go back you probably appreciate it from that way but it does really reward you i will say that by 1991 even though nobody had seen the terminator i'll be back was <laughs> widely known as Everywhere. a catchphrase, even by people who'd never seen that movie. Well, and it's all, in all of his movies. Yeah, that's true. Even with the one where he's like the twins or whatever. And... <laughs> yeah, well, as Schwarzenegger, they do catchphrases a lot. 
All right, let's take a brief break to tell you about a sponsor. This episode brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, breaking up with your old wireless provider just got a whole lot easier thanks to Mint Mobile. They were the first company to sell premium wireless service online only. I love that. I don't want to talk to people. And now Mint Mobile is introducing their unlimited data plan, just 30 bucks a month. That's right. Unlimited for 30 bucks. How much is your soon-to-be ex-wireless provider charging you? I bet it's more than that. I tried Mint Mobile. Super easy to set up. Popped in the little SIM card. Fits in my iPhone. Sign up for the service using the internet and no human beings. I don't want to talk to them. And boom, up and running on Mint Mobile's network. No problem. For people that hate their phone bill and are ready for something new, Mint Mobile offers a premium unlimited plan for 30 bucks a month. And they do this by going online only, by eliminating those traditional costs of retail and passing those savings on to you. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with a 7-day money-back guarantee. Break up with Big Wireless. Switch to Mint Mobile's premium unlimited data for 30 bucks a month. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 30 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash Snell. Oh, that's my last name. That's mintmobile, M-I-N-T-M-O-B-I-L-E.com slash Snell. Cut your unlimited wireless bill to 30 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash Snell. Thank you to Mint Mobile for supporting the incomparable. Speaking of uh, the Terminators, so we get our we got our classic Terminator, we got our new Terminator, which is Robert Patrick. I think Robert Patrick does a lot with kind of not a lot in that mm-hmm. he just has to look, mm-hmm. he has to give the steely, he's really, he got cast because he does the steely gaze, right? Steely. He does that walk where he just sort of leans forward oh, a little bit as he walks. Yes. That's really creepy. And and then, of course, he's replaced by CGI a lot. But like, um, I think Robert Patrick is fun. I've liked him and other stuff that that he's been into. I think he's kind of a fun actor, but I can see why they, they specifically uh, chose him for this part. And then... As for the the Terminator of the T one thousand itself, like it, it kind of doesn't make sense. It's just like a blob. It's made of liquid metal, I know, but it's just like a blob that is impossible to kill. And it's magic. And and what's brilliant about that is <laughs> that you just think, how could they? Why are they even fighting it? It can't. Like every time I see when they first uh, meet him, and Schwarzenegger is is uh, shotgunning him, and gets him on the floor, and then just watches as all the things kind of heal, and he stands back up. I'm like, why are you not running? How can this thing be killed? <laughs> and, and I think it's really effective, because it can do anything. It can be anyone. You can't really hurt it. How do you defeat it? And they there is a way, which we'll get to, which involves fortuitously landing at the molten metal factory <laughs> thank goodness it was right there but that's I, for me that's the great thing about the t-1000 it's like you can't even understand it how could it work and how could you ever stop it and it's just terrifying and it's relentless and it'll you know he'll run after cars and run 30 miles an hour because he's he's just you can't be stopped he's and he's the monster and that's why this still is a monster movie right but it's a different kind of monster movie he still stresses me out. Like I still watch that, even knowing yeah. how it all goes. I'm like, I still feel stressed. Have you seen this by boy? this relentless monster? Yeah, my shoulders keep coming to my ears. Like, oh, he's gonna get him. He's gonna get. They didn't. Get, he's not dead. Yeah, he cuts like cake. We it's- know, <laughs> you know, because because of the formula of storytelling or modern storytelling, 
especially for blockbuster movies, we know that there's going to be some variety of happy ending to this, but we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. Like, Sarah probably has to live. John probably has to live. What happens to the Terminators is, you know, kind of up up in the air. Do they defeat the liquid metal thing by deep freezing it and then shattering it and then... I don't I don't know. Like, you know, so there's there's a lot of tension in it that a lot of stories I feel like you can predict the ending because you know there's gonna be a happy ending, right? We don't typically love movies and books and whatever that are that leave us feeling unfulfilled and unhappy. So I think that that is a lot of it too is there's this tension of like, okay, he is impossible to kill. So how are they going to slow him down so that they can figure things out? And then ultimately, how do they defeat the, him or like I said, like deep freezing him? Will that slow him down enough that it's no longer a concern. And then as the next movie breaking him out of the freezer or, you know, whatever. So I think that that's part of why it works so very well. Mm -hmm. When you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And when you have guns, everything looks like a thing to shoot. I feel like the idea of shooting uh, the T-1000 is kind of an idea of slowing him down, even though, like y'all said, they just kind of sit there and watch him uh, Mm. reassemble a whole bunch. And it's (laughs) not that interesting. Because it looks cool. Run, people. Run. It didn't kill him. Trust me. Just run. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also really surprised by how well the graphics hold up. Mm -hmm. That got me as well. Yeah. In part, it's because a lot of it is not intended to look realistic. Mm -hmm. But I every time I watch it, I appreciate like it still looks pretty dang good. So I want to praise. So James Cameron. Okay, he's there's a lot to unpack about James Cameron. He has issues. He is he's brilliant and also has lots of issues. And I don't love all of his movies. Um, and I don't know why he has spent the lat- latter part of his career trying to make a million Avatar movies. Avatar. <laughs> but leaving that aside, I will say he is a guy who set up his own visual effects company, right? Digital Domain. He cares deeply about uh, visual effects. He's a George Lucas-like kind of figure in the realm of of CGI instead of in the realm of of the more traditional special effects that George Lucas pioneered in the Star Wars movies. And... It's so telling that his choices for the first two movies that he heavily used CGI in, he chose CGI characters, quote unquote, of a very particular kind. So in the abyss, there's the water tentacle. It isn't anything. It's literally just a blob of water. It's crafted around what they were capable of doing. And in this, it's the mercury blob right it's mm-hmm. it's silvery mm-hmm. secret life of alex mack but it's not <laughs> right this is the, the and, and that's why and that's why it totally does hold up is it's not it's not trying to be anything other than like there are some morphs that aren't that great although this was the early days of morphing but like all those silvery reflective like blobs and all that it's like he knew let's make this thing that we are capable of doing be the thing that we're doing instead of pushing it and having it look kind of iffy and yeah. i appreciate that that he, he he's such a smart guy that in both of those movies he used he wanted to push the cgi but not beyond the point where they were capable of making something that looked good mm-hmm. that was the thing i noticed watching it i watched it earlier today and one of the things that that i was sort of noticing as i watched it was the effect in that there weren't a whole lot of moments of 
wow all of a sudden i can totally tell this is a movie from the early 90s like most of like the bulk of it far and away most of it is is stuff that you don't really notice as wow that's really clunky or yep. you know maybe they masked that really right. badly or something like that there's a couple of moments that are like oh yeah but for the most part they do and also for a james cameron movie because this is like just over two hours uh, it moves right along. There's yeah. not a, a break in the middle for pie or anything like well, that. Like I mean, you, you, <laughs> there, there's a break in the middle at the gas station out in the middle of the desert, but that like that's a well, minute, and then that's it. And you're yeah, done. it's it's a couple of yeah, minutes. Yeah. Like yeah, it, and they may not have had pie. I'm not sure. There probably wasn't pie, but like <laughs> just about the time you think you're gonna get a little break, it's I'm sorry, your killer robot is in another castle, and yeah. we're off again. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and even that that break is so important for the story you know it's where linda um linda where sarah finally real or comes to terms with okay this machine is not out to kill us it's actually here to protect john and oh look at their little glimmers of humanity coming through as he learns from john and you know it's it's a really it's a needed pause between the action but it's also a needed like character building slow down show the the semblance of humanity in this machine moment for all of them yeah like that too like uh-huh. his relationship with the terminator the terminator's ability to expand some knowledge her coming to terms with like this is his life now and this is like where we have ended up and i kind of have to like get it together and what's my next move because this is where we are and sitting here feeling sorry for myself and all of that like isn't going to get us anywhere and we need to be continuing to move we this is that's the scene also where we really get the download on kind of how messed up Sarah Connor is, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, she was in a mental institution, all those things, but it's like, that's the moment where you, you see like what she's been through and why she thinks the way she does. And it's a great, it's a great moment. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to make fun of you, Kelly, for saying that it never stops. It's just funny. It, it has the one stop, but you're right. Immediately, like, that's it. Like, there are not long stretches in this movie where nothing happens punctuated by action, right? No, the action is right. continuous throughout the movie. Yeah, and there's this little bit of standing around talking, which is also relentlessly driving the plot forward. Right. Like there's a whole bunch <laughs> that sure. happens in that little bit, which is so it's also not a break. Like, you know, we get these, you know, everything now is a three hour film. And, you know, and like this is one of those moments where uh, somebody who can have a tendency to go on a bit, Avatar, uh, swoops in, makes the point and then gets out. And that doesn't happen I think part of the reason that it struck me that this movie does that as well as it does is because, like I said, now everything's a three hour movie and then you can watch the extended cut later. So (laughs) like this clips right along. There's not like there's one moment of standing around talking. Everything else is like, I'm going to shout some things at you while we're in a chase or while we are fleeing in a mental institution, waving around a syringe full of Roto-Rooter, whatever. Like, there, there's always something else that's happening and there's something equally important to the conversation that's happening as we're having the conversation. And like in a lot of movies, you don't see that anymore. Yeah, in a lot of modern Marvel movies, you get a single line information download of, oh no, we must get the Infinity Feather or whatever uh, in the middle of a fight scene and that is what informs the next maybe 20 minutes of uh-huh. MacGuffin hunting mm-hmm. and that's not something that happens in this movie. 
even that first like cold op- like the opening which it almost starts slowly and then burns the entire earth which is a scene that is like burned in my memory forever when i think about this movie i just think of like yes. right we we like burn the entire earth and we have to this is what we this is what we have to stop which we did thank goodness but yeah I, that whole moment is just mur- burned into my mind and it's because you have like that beautiful slow pan and then Right. And I kind of love it. And then it. it's just old trucks mm-hmm. and killer robots and stuff after that. Yeah, the, the scene uh, in the desert when uh, Sarah has the dream about the nuclear blast mm-hmm. is one of the top five like most disturbing mm-hmm. things that is burned into my brain every time I think about <laughs> movies that have really affected me. Uh, this is one. This is it. You see the burden that she's carried since the last movie. And that was a fun movie and it ends you know with a Terminator being crushed and all of that. But like in this, this movie makes a real effort to say, how could that have been the end right like how and yeah. and you see her burden like she is the one person alive who knows that doomsday is going to happen and that means mm-hmm. that she has all the responsibility to prevent doomsday from happening she thinks fortunately they send back some more terminators to mess things up in the timeline and whatever but like mm-hmm. but she has felt that burden not just her responsibility toward her son but her responsibility toward all of humanity in a way because mm-hmm. you know so it's it's really remarkable i was going to also mention one of the reasons I don't think this movie feels quite as dated in some ways is that a modern movie about killer robots or something like that is not going to rely so much on more traditional action vehicles but like the, the you know it's a it's a truck chase with gunfire and the person driving the truck is a robot who can turn into liquid metal right but it's not something more fanciful it's still a lot of trucks and bikes and rifles and guns and you know later on a big metal factory with machinery and like it's traditional and used as practical effects right and then you've got this magical character inside it and i think that again is another example of cameron knowing what he's got to work with and saying if Mm -hmm. i want to be this to be a blockbuster i'm gonna have to have some great car chases and stuff even though it's a movie about robots because i can't keep up (laughs) that first two minutes after doomsday where there are like flying robot cars and they're and marching armies of terminators and stuff like mm-hmm. i can't do it so i'm gonna have <laughs> you know exploding trucks full of gas instead or full of or liquid nitrogen depending the t-1000 was in the original draft of the first terminator uh the cameron had written but once he realized that the technology was not there yet he scrapped the idea and then revisited See? it for uh, the second movie oh. Smart and yeah that's definitely economical cool. uh also speaking of uh things that were not necessarily continued on from the first movie uh we see a lot of the bonding between john connor and this second iteration of uh, schwarzenegger's terminator and he becomes a sort of surrogate father figure to him. They absolutely never mention Kyle Reese in this movie in a way that like kind of surprised me given how much weight his father, uh, him fathering John Connor in the first movie was given a lot of weight, especially at the end of the movie uh, when there's that time loop, time paradox quandary of, should I tell you that Kyle Reese is your father and would you send him back otherwise? I don't know. And especially when he actually has a father figure in this movie, they never bring him up, which I think is kind of smart. Yeah, he's he's mentioned as like, well, they sent a guy back. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> it's no. like, whatever. Uh, he didn't make it. What happened when he was there didn't, didn't really matter. No. I love I was going to bring it up, uh, you know, so Arnold Schwarzenegger in this, again, he is playing a, a ruthless killing machine, but he's on the right side 
and he's been told to follow the orders of the kid and they end up with this kind of great relationship he's he's a almost like spock like or data like figure right where he is trying mm-hmm. to understand humanity which is why that line at the end where he's like i now know why you cry you know is so great and he gives the thumbs up as he goes into the molten uh bath right like it, it's the an alert, teaching the terminator about how humans work and how emotions work and all that. And it's it's adorable. And it's it's not necessary for this movie, but it is one of the things that makes the movie work is that he is not just a ruthless killing machine. You know, he is. Like, he'll he'll do it. Only shoot him in the knees. Okay. But that he's got that other relationship <laughs> with him. I love it. Also, he refers to himself as a cyborg, and it it drives me crazy because he's a robot with skin on him. That doesn't make him a cyborg. I don't know what that is. It is a reverse cyborg, or as John Syracuse and I have decided to call him, a Grobic, which is cyborg spelled backward. But he's not a cyborg. If you start with a robot and put like take some skin from someone and put it on the robot, you're like, oh, cyborg. No, not a cyborg. It was the 90s. It was an innocent time. But adorable uh, relationship <laughs> between those two characters. Really one of the things that makes the movie work, I think. Absolutely. It is fun to watch them. I, I do enjoy their their moments together. I do feel genuinely sad still at the end as you see him descend. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a real sacrifice, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. He's Because he's got an arc. He's, got a, he's made, he's grown as a person, the Terminator has. And, has. and that makes the sacrifice actually matter in a way that it wouldn't if he was just still a cold, it's, unfeeling thing. And it was like, well, it's logical, yeah. so I'll do it, and it doesn't matter. It's just like, duh, but we work so hard to teach you our catchphrases. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- this feels this does not feel like a movie from the early 90s very often, but I think the thing that dates the movie the most is the slang that John Connor teaches. <laughs> the oh, and if this movie were made today, he would be teaching him on fleek. Yas, queen. <laughs> Yeet. Okay, now I just really want a video where, like, it's Arnold in his backyard with a cigar or whatever going, Yas Queen! I, I really want to see that now. Terminator 10. They still haven't <laughs> killed him. John Connor is very old now, but they send a robot back <laughs> to learn about catchphrases. You just keep trying. We must almost be at Terminator 10, right? Like and subscribe. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Hello, guys. I'll, I'm back. When- like and subscribe to my channel. Mash the bell. Wait, before you scroll, look at my floofers. That's a TikTok <laughs> reference. Click the link below. Like, I remember watching this and, you know, at the beginning they talk about it being, I think it's 2029. And when we watched this in the 90s, that felt like the far future. so far. And it felt like fiction. And watching it today, oh, yeah. kind of yeah. no. It's this decade. I can see how we get there from here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like yep. in the 90s was like, wow, this is a whole different world. And I'm buckling up for some pretend science fiction. And now like, oh, yeah. We're doomed. Yeah. I, I, I see it's, it. It's okay, Kelly. 2029 is like 500 years from now. So we're fine. <laughs> it's fine. One of my favorite things in science fiction is is watching old science fiction that talks about the future, but the future is far in the past. So, like, mm-hmm. Star Trek always had these things about, like, oh, uh, you'll learn more about that in 1985. And it's like, whoa, 1985, whoa! that's so far in the future. And the, in the, this movie and in the original Terminator, it's Judgment Day is 1997. Wow, that's yeah. so far away. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's adorable. 
1997. And in future Terminator movies, they had to be like, uh, you only pushed it back to after the release date of this movie and didn't <laughs> cancel it altogether because they have to justify why uh, they didn't just solve it in 1997. There have been so many Terminator movies since here. I don't want to talk about them. Uh, we're going to talk about this one. So uh, we haven't talked about the assault on the mental institution, which we should, because it's a great set piece. There's lots of like, there's there's double, the doubles of the guards with the Terminator. There's that great moment, classic movie moment, I would argue, where they, he goes through the bars, but the gun doesn't go through the bars, which yeah. is just such a little yes. moment, but it's so, detail. so smart. That the gun can't phase through the bars because the gun is not part of him. And the scene at the beginning when the T-1000 first infiltrates and he's behind, creeping behind the security guard. And the security guard's like, oh, it must be my lucky day. And then he's like immediately dead. Yes. I mean, tragic, but so good. that As a story, yes. That guy. So I had to go look. And I don't know. I don't... I have this where like I will recognize somebody from the other thing I saw them in that time. And... He is one of the army guys in Good Morning Vietnam who works in the radio station. And when Adrian Cronauer first goes on the air, they like cut to the two guys and like they're absolutely not laughing. They do not find this funny in any way. One of them is him. And so for anybody else who ever look, whoever has like a hey, it's that guy moment. There's two other people in this movie who are very hey, it's that guy. But uh, that one was very specific because we watched that movie many, 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 many times at my house. <laughs> Earl Bowen is the doctor in this, and that's another character from the previous movie. And he's the mm-hmm. he's pl- in that movie he's playing as he is here, sort of. Well, he's sort of Nurse Ratched here, but in that movie he's sort of a William Atherton kind of figure. It's the '80s mm-hmm. movie villain who is just a terrible person and it doesn't matter how much advice or how much information, how much anything you give them, they're just going to do the worst thing possible because that's their role in the movie. And so here he's, he's still that guy, but he's like even worse because you know, there's just so much evidence that the Terminator is real. Willfully bureaucratic a-hole. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's still the William Atherton character basically, but he's, Absolutely. he's now he's got control over her, which is, which is terrible. So this is, you know, it's it's more more fun where you've got two Terminators who, who can fight it out. But there's also all that uh, stress of getting her. How do you get her out of that uh, institution? And then when they finally do, it feels like such a relief, which leads to that scene in the desert where it's like, well, that's great and all. But we we still need to avert doomsday, which leads them to the third mm-hmm. act and leads them to, again, poor... Joe Morton as Miles Dyson, poor, poor Dr. Dyson, who his only sin was that he took a hand from the future and used it to build a technological empire. Okay, well, that was kind of a sin. I, I Okay. <laughs> Speaking of the uh, evidence and the cover-up that the uh, and, and the fact that even though there's so much evidence, no one believes Linda Hamilton, I love that they wrote that, you know, they wrote the idea that people don't believe her into the fact that there is a cover-up by this company, that they have found pieces of the Terminator, the arm and the chip and everything, and are keeping it a secret. And they say, don't ask about it. No one's allowed to ask about it. Uh, I thought that was a really so great good. way to not only suspend the disbelief about uh, no one believing Linda Hamilton, because there's a lot of gruesome evidence <laughs> that the Terminator is real, and also turn it into a plot point that this is how they are able to get away with having a piece of the Terminator. Mm-hmm. I think it's an amazing twist that the whole, and again, time travel purists will say, it's a bootstrap bootstrap paradox. It doesn't make any sense. And maybe it doesn't because it's time travel. But what a twist to be like, well, here is this company that has advanced technology. They're going to create Skynet. How 
have they got such advanced technology? And the reveal is, oh, they have the Terminator hand from the last <laughs> scene of the last movie. It's like, that's a, such a great moment. It's like, but wait, so the Terminator causes the Terminator to happen? How? Yeah, I love it. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's so good. Mm-hmm. And and again, Dyson is a tragic figure, right? We meet his family. He seems, you uh, know, he seems like yeah, a good guy. So nice. And and he's so nice that he is willing to blow up his himself and his building in order to save the future. But it's a uh, I, I always find that kind of hard watching because he's he's a very sympathetic character, even though he's a ma- he's because he's the mad scientist part, but he doesn't realize that he's the mad scientist and then he kind of figures it out and he feels bad. So I don't know. I love mm. that, uh, that segment of the movie. And I, I feel that's the most science fiction part, right? Where it's the like time travel future dilemma stuff. But I really like, I really like that too. And Joe <laughs> Morton does a good job. I thought the science fictionist part was where he's like, wow, I, I do that. And that's kind of terrible. I feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> What? Someone feeling bad for something they've done? Did you know you the thing you invented destroys the world? Oh. <laughs> well. But that's such that's such a better story that he doesn't intend to cause the end of the world, no. but unintentionally it yeah. he, you know, it just happens. So, yeah, I love it. Yeah, well, it's the it's the what if we always have those hypotheticals that are like what if you could go back in time and kill baby Hitler or whatever. But it's like which is essentially make that, something like, worse. that's sort of the reverse Terminator, isn't it? It's the reverse of the plot of the Terminator. But here we get it again, mm-hmm. which is what if you find out that you're the guy who causes doomsday and you're like, oh, no, they've come back to get rid of me. No. Or to, yeah. in this case, allow me to commit doomsday, which I don't want to do. It's it's tragic. And, and I love it. It's great. The other thing that's hard to watch about that particular uh, scene is that. Uh, after the scene where uh, Sarah Connor grapples with the humanity of the Terminator and the humanity of machines in general, as you know, she's finally coming around on him helping them out in this whole journey, she storms into Dyson's house, a faux Terminator, mm-hmm. you know, acting like a freaking military soldier, get down, get down, having a gun in your face, gun in your face. And that moment where she breaks down and realizes, oh, wait. I've become Terminator, oh. Destroyer of Worlds in this moment is one of my favorite moments in the entire movie because you realize, oh, this is where the idea of man and machine, killer and human get flipped again. And it makes that last line mm-hmm. of the movie all that much more poignant as she realizes, you know, not that there's human in the machines that we've created, but there is also the capacity for the killing machine in these humans. And that is something that Sarah Connor has actively fought against. Yeah. And she becomes, the th- she's become the thing she's fought against. Right. Poor, poor Dyson. Anyway, um, <laughs> the- that, his, his final scene is so hard to watch mm-hmm. too. Oh like he, just he, his mm-hmm. acting is so good. They've really liberally applied the water, got the spray bottle and yep. his eyes are so wide and that like mm-hmm. controlled breathing, like he just he did it so 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 well, and it's really difficult to watch, especially because you're kind of rooting for him, or at least I am. You know, it's like okay, you're gonna go, you're gonna help them, and then you're gonna like save the world somehow, right? You'll get out of the situation, and then he's like almost immediately shot, and yep. it's it's just it's so sad. Yeah. Love Joe Morton. He's good in everything. He really was. And like I've seen entire movies where the main character doesn't have the kind of character arc that Dr. Dyson does. And we mm-hmm. don't even get him for like an entire reel. Okay, the last part of the movie, we, we're back in car chase mode because the T-1000 is still going to, even with the hand destroyed and all of that in the building, 
the T-1000 is still going to kill John Connor. That's all part of the goal. So they get in another chase, and and you've got the uh, what the the this is where the frozen truck, the liquid nitrogen truck, Ni- is. liquid mm-hmm. nitrogen truck, which yeah. makes him all squeaky and slow, but doesn't stop him. And they end up, and again, I mentioned this earlier. It makes me giggle because when you need <laughs> a molten metal, I guess it's a steel mill. When you need a place where there's giant pools of molten metal and sparks flying everywhere, that's where your giant car crash ends up leading you to. And I do appreciate that there is a scene. I have seen a movie that ends like this where there's an entire factory operating and there's no one in it. In fact, that movie may have been the original Terminator. But in this movie, you actually see the guys in the hard hats evacuating from the facility. And it's like, good. Yes, get out, boys. But that explains why there's molten metal in there. Because it was working until the robots came. Middle of my shift, man. And so, yeah. So we end up with the great uh, claustrophobic fight scene, right? Where it's like there's stuff everywhere and, and the Terminator is getting crushed. And Arnold Schwarzenegger's skin is getting shredded and his his body parts are coming off and like, but he keeps coming back because he's a relentless killing machine. Like in the first movie, except he's on the right side and, and Sarah's protecting John and, and uh, you know, the, the T 1000 is wanting to kill them all. And, and they do end up blowing the term, the bad Terminator into the molten metal um, as uh, Sarah shoots him multiple times, as we've seen the Terminator do with the shotgun, but she runs out of bullets and then he's going to kill her. Yeah. But, uh, of course, on a treadmill or a, a, some sort of a, a apparatus, the remaining portion of the Terminator appears, our Terminator, and, and, and blows him blows a grenade into him, and he explodes and falls back in. And that that's how you get him, is, is that he melts and gets all weird and then fades away. And it's a great death scene, too. So this is another mm-hmm. good, you know, it, it, it is the proverbial spark factory in terms of the backgrounds. Yeah. It's just we're in a loud... <laughs> industrial place with sparks but it actually does have a purpose because they got to melt the liquid metal Mm -hmm. guy at the end it's also a reference to the first movie and the ending scene there and i believe both of those uh ending scenes in these like dark dimly lit claustrophobic factories are references to nightmare on elm street uh the uh, like a very important slasher movie and in a way these are all slasher movies uh the way that they film and frame these monsters it really made me feel like this was uh channeling that early west craven I never even thought about that. Yeah, that that lines up. Yeah, because it is a mon- I mean, it is a horror movie and a monster movie in a way, right? The relentless yeah. uh, monster that doesn't stop, and how can you defeat it? And that that definitely is a big part of of Terminator lore. In this case, mm-hmm. it's what if? Then what if they fought? <laughs> what if the monsters <laughs> fought each other? Okay, we could do that. It felt a little uh, showy offy, I guess, by Digital Domain. Uh, the way that the particular fashion in which he was sort of blown apart at the end before it like throws him so far out of whack that he has no balance anymore and that's why he falls into the lava into the mm-hmm. pit so yeah i say lava but mostly it's because yeah. the lord of the rings movies are very popular <laughs> yes. at my house yes. and so it's like it's Gollum. it's very much like i remember watching that and that was the first thing that came to my mind was yeah is there a terminator in there <laughs> I did really enjoy, in, like specifically, as he dies, you keep seeing his face come up 
But as he comes up out of the molten steel, it's all the faces of the people yeah. since he made yeah. it to Earth. And I think yeah, that that's detail. very cool. It's like playing off the hard drive. He falls into the lava and becomes the world's worst screensaver. Mm-hmm. Indeed. <laughs> the fact that it's referencing the previous movie, I mean, that's one of the things that I really like about this screenplay is the presence of the Terminator, we're told, is what caused this all to happen. And so we get to the end of the movie here. And they pay it off, which is the Terminator can't stay around. Like, he has to go. We've gotten to know him and like him, and we've taught him our catchphrases, but he's the (laughs) reason this happened. His previous, you know, model compatriot, same model as him. Like, if we leave a trace behind, this is going to happen again. And I like that they're using, you know, they picked up that moment from the Terminator and didn't just use it as the twist about Skynet but also used it as the propulsive force to get to the point where the Terminator, this Terminator 101 has to sacrifice himself because that's the only way to keep, He's ultimately he's got to keep John Connor safe. And if any trace of Terminator technology remains, he won't be. Although I do worry that like they're going to stamp like a, a car out of that that metal and, and then Robert Patrick's going to be a, in a car. <laughs> That's how we get kit. But, yeah. I feel like a little bit of that moment felt uh, very, I guess, human, which is odd. But it was a thing that he learned because he hands Sarah Connor the controls right. and says, I can't self-terminate. You have to do it. And to me... That felt like a very human sidestep around a system Mm. that is designed to do a certain thing. He found a way to work it so that everything would turn out like it was supposed to. Because he's like, I can't do it. You have to do it. But it still has to happen. I also like that it was Sarah because she still has enough baggage so that she gets it and Mm. is willing. She sees the practicality and she's not so emotionally invested in it. And yes, it's going to really break John. But... She's going to do it because she needs to. And she's been through all of this. And we know that smushing isn't enough. We have to melt them. And appreciate the parallel of it. Imagine the pitch, which is, well, we're going to make a sequel to The Terminator. And in this one, Sarah also pushes a button and kills The Terminator in a factory full of sparks. But this time, he asks her to do it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's literally the same ending, except this time they're in agreement that he needs to be destroyed. It's amazing. It's so good. Oh, Schwarzenegger, you know, okay, so Schwarzenegger, who was the governor of my state for a while, you know, he's a, for an actor, he's a heck of a weightlifter, but he's a charismatic dude. I mean, what I said about the special effects goes for the Terminator, like Cameron uses him perfectly, like use the fact that he's big and strong and has a twinkle in his eye and is charismatic, but is robotic, right? And use yeah, mm-hmm. it. And and that's that's why there will never be, and I enjoy some other Schwarzenegger movies, uh, but this one is, is the perfect fit for him because it, it's crafted around the th- stuff he does well. And even yes. the stuff that he doesn't do well is like baked into the character in a way. Yeah, but he doesn't have that twinkle in the first movie, which is, right. is a different performance, yes. which is really mm-hmm. good and it works. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I also really appreciate Robert Patrick's performance in this movie, where he is also robotic and very stoic and very scary, but in a different way than Schwarzenegger. He's mm-hmm. not just doing another Terminator. He's doing his own thing, which I really appreciate. Yeah. And I've seen Robert Patrick in other stuff where he... You know, he often gets uh, cast to be like a military guy or a cop, and and mm-hmm. I get it. 
Um, but he does have a kind of little more down home laid back side to him that, you know, in this movie he doesn't get to show, but like he, I think he's a fun actor. Also the next year he played, there's a scene for those who haven't seen it. There's a scene in Wayne's world where Wayne and Garth get pulled over by a cop and it turns out to be Robert Patrick. And he says, (laughs) have you seen this boy? And they just scream and and it's a non sequitur. I love it so much. It's so great. (laughs) That's wonderful. I love that moment. So much. Yeah. And I remember my mom took us to see Wayne's World. And so afterward, my mom said, that policeman pulled them over. And I don't know why you laughed at that as much as you did. And oh, <laughs> mom. It's from the Terminator 2. That's what it's from. Uh, I like it's it's from a I'm like, mom, it's from a movie that you didn't take us yeah. to go Reference see. not okay. acknowledged. <laughs> yeah. Tony, leave the room. The reference is not, not acknowledged. acknowledged. Sorry, mom. And so the last thing in this movie, and it's such a, I think, kind of iconic thing is the is the the dark roadway with the headlights, which we saw at the beginning. Yeah. We see here at the end, and we get the Linda Linda Hamilton narration, and it's still edgy. But this time, she says she's hopeful. I'm not sure I believe how hopeful she is, but she says she's hopeful because the Terminator has taught her a lesson about. Uh, I know now why you cry, and it values humans. So maybe we can learn a lesson from the Terminator. Uh, it's just it's so evocative the the idea that we're still on the road to the future and and there may still be bad things out out there and her paranoia is probably still justified uh i like it it's a, what a way to end a uh, feel-good summer action movie light yeah it's like the movie equivalent of a beach read yeah yeah there you go. just enough out there that it's like closed but it leaves you options in case you want to make another movie so yeah. having revisited this how do how do you all feel about terminator 2 any any uh changes in your viewpoints this time around or you know how does it read in in the summer of 2020 it's still my favorite terminator movie i love it yeah i so the whole terminator franchise is something that you know i re-watch not infrequently every few years maybe um and there are movies i like a lot worse than this one i do think it's also my favorite of of all of them so I can't really judge it. You know, it's not like I watched it in 1991 and then rewatched it for the first time now, but it's in such heavy rotation that I just love it. And it's one of my, I was telling a friend earlier, it's like one of my feel good movies, <laughs> this preventing the apocalypse, <laughs> shoot 'em up horror action adventure movie you know. is one of my feel good movies because it's just so familiar and so good. And it always stands up when I need I need something to turn to so I can't I can't judge it very well I have it on DVD and have watched it enough that I probably know most like you know Mm. I just you you just know it you know it Mm -hmm. so well I love it a lot I love the the first one and I like some of the other ones but like I do find this one just it I hadn't watched it in a few years and it just still makes me really happy even though it's yeah about an apocalypse i think the most special thing about terminator 2 to me is the movie that it was a sequel to i have never seen any other terminator movies except for one or two and i love both of the first two movies for very different reasons (laughs) and uh again i missed a lot of the very 80s aesthetic and the schlock of the first one the special effects are not very good but uh you know like you mentioned both james cameron and george lucas are 
old white guys that like to use special effects as a pissing contest for their position in the industry. So I really kind of want a special edition of the ending of the first Terminator with these really bad special effects. I feel like that could use a little uh, spit shine Mm. in uh, 2020. But I think (laughs) what stood out to me the most about Terminator 2 was how much of a departure it was from the first movie, because I did a double feature of both today, (laughs) and how much it stands on its own as one of the best action movies uh, ever made. I don't enjoy action movies very, very much. I will tolerate Marvel movies because I enjoy the superheroes and things, but... Boy, howdy, I thought that Marvel movie third acts dragged on. There were times where I would like look at the scrubber on my Terminator 2 video and be like, oh my god, how is there 40 minutes left of this? I know like the next three story beats, but do we really need another 40 minutes for that? Aside from being bored by the constant uh, barrage of action toward the end of the movie, I really, really love all the character beats, all of the special effects, all the character design, and all the references to the first movie. I don't watch it often, but I do watch it on the regular. I've seen it many times since it came out in theaters. And I think for me, part of it is I kind of, because I still because I still watch it, um, I forget how much of this stuff was stuff that nobody had ever seen before when it came out the first time. Like right. the big dramatic chase in the LA River and, you know, having the the front of a semi you know the the a semi truck like be the the part of it and then you know they go under a bridge bridge is too low trucks are convertible now we keep going and like all of the kinds of you know like it's a very scary movie it's a very relentless movie it's a very dark movie but there's some funny moments in it and having like all of the different styles that we talked about you know it's a it's a a, a horror movie a post apocalyptic movie uh, all you know, a time travel movie, a sci-fi movie, a horror movie, a monster movie. It's it is all of those things, and it manages to balance all of that really well. Because if you are like telling somebody about it, you know, all of the parts of it that make it a fantastical fictional work are sort of incidental to the movie. Yeah, there's this guy, and he's made out of liquid metal, but that's not the point. He came, you know him and this other dude came from the future, but that's not the point. And there's like, it's really just sort of showing that it's possible to have a movie full of characters who are interesting, that you care about that matter, that have stakes and you can have all this other stuff go on around them that helps drive the plot, that helps put them in these positions that helps put the, get, get everybody where they're going. But it's all still really interesting. And, you know, like we talked about, like there's no break where everybody stands around and talks like there's like a minute and then we're off to the next place. And so it's very I think it holds up a lot. And I think that a lot of modern movies owe some of their fundamentals to a film like this. Yeah, I think it's not maybe as well known now because it was so influential that it doesn't seem as much because everything it does you're like well yeah that's what these movies do but Mm -hmm. this was a super influential um movie it was as a blockbuster it was the blockbuster it sort of showed how you could make a movie like this and it had a huge impact and and it, it was like this was a huge everybody saw this movie everybody saw this movie and it was kind of a surprise at how huge it was. It's that is it the Velvet Underground record that I'm thinking of that everybody says like they only sold a hundred copies, but everybody who bought one went and started their own super influential band. <laughs> this is like that. Like everybody who saw it went home and like started their own special effects yeah. house. Everybody uh, and everybody saw it. So there were a lot of special effects. There were too many to survive. That's why there was that. 
Uh, anyway, the uh, yeah, huge, huge film. All right, well, I have had a good time talking about Terminator 2, colon, Judgment Day, with uh, these wonderful people. Aline Sims, thank you for being here. I love talking about Terminator. We'll be back, or maybe we won't. But we'd have to talk mm. about other movies, and I'm not sure whether we will or not. Although, again, I might I might defend Terminator 3, and I, I don't know if I've seen any of the rest of them. Uh, Annette Weirstra, thank you. Thank you. And I still want to be Linda Hamilton in 1991. All right. Keep working on it. You never know. Someone will send me back. They might send you back in time. Could be. Brian Hamilton, thank you. Thumbs up. That's me descending into the magma. I got it. It's just uh, molten steel, but it's like a volcano. <laughs> and Kelly Gamont, thank you. I know now why you cry. I know now why you humans cry. And thank you to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We'll see you next week. 